Not long ago, I read a story about how some of your favorite singers are losing their voice. Rock singers, I mean. And this intrigued me because as a child, when I listened to their music, my parents told me that if I kept listening, I would lose my hearing. <laughs> they never said that they would lose their voice before I would lose my hearing. But it turns out that from singing over the years, nodules have built up on their vocal cords like barnacles, and they have to have those surgically removed. In some cases, they break blood vessels. Other cases, they contract viruses. But as they get older, these singers, they start losing their voice. And I'm not talking one or two of them. This is Bono, Elton John, Steve Perry, Roger Daltrey, Robert Plant, Freddie Mercury, Steven Tyler, Bob Seger, all of these people that were great rock vocalists have had to have this surgery because they're losing their voice. Even some of the musicians that you listen to. <laughs> Celine Dion. Mm. <laughs> Adele. Megan Trainer, Michael Buble. <laughs> Lionel Richie. I heard some old voice go, ooh. <laughs> Even Pavarotti have had to have surgery to remove these. Sometimes it happens in the middle of a show. They'll get partway through the concert and all of a sudden it's gone and they have to cancel the rest of the show and cancel the rest of the tour. One of the singers said, when it happens, I can feel the symptoms. I think the audience knows it. She said, I can still hit the notes, but I have to push harder. I'm working because I start losing my range. Sometimes she says it feels like I'm screaming. Sometimes I'm squealing. The audience can tell. They're polite, but after a couple of years, they start to drift off and look for other singers. When I heard this, I started to think about us, the church, I mean. I wonder if we are beginning to lose our voice. And I wonder if we can still hit the notes, but it feels like we're screaming. And the audience can tell. And I wonder if the audience is beginning to drift off and look for other singers. Can I be blunt with you? Yes, I'm going to, so just. It feels to me like um, this is a day in our society, uh, it's a time in history when the world should be feeling better, but in fact, they're feeling worse. 
they are living longer, but they're enjoying it less. They're more connected, yet they're more alone. They're more informed, but they're less clear about anything. They have a higher standard of living, but they have lower levels of contentment. More swagger, less confidence. More pleasure, less satisfaction. It's almost as if our society is looking for a voice to speak into the nation's soul and bring clarity and vision and wisdom to the discussion. You would think at a time in history like this, the church would be wildly popular. They should be streaming into the church like they did the day after 9-11. But in fact, the church is losing the interest of society, not gaining it. They should be seeking the Christians out and they're avoiding the Christians. They should be calling us saints. They call Francis of Assisi a saint. They called Mother Teresa a saint. They even called Billy Graham a saint. He's not Catholic. But they calling us extremists. Something's wrong. Why are we not more convincing at a time when the world is more desperate for an eternal voice? We talk about a gospel gap, which according to some is simply the gap that is growing in between the slow and steady rise of the church and the accelerated pace of secularism. In other words, the society in which we live in is getting larger, it's getting faster, more complex, and more secular than the church can keep up with. And the gap is widening. But I'm actually beginning to question this. I'm beginning to wonder if the world is not any more secular than it ever was. So the world is not perhaps getting secular any faster, but the church is losing her voice. She's pushing harder, working to hit the notes, and on a good day, she can hit them. But the audience can tell something is wrong. And so they start drifting off for something else. Now, as I understand the biblical world, um, the ancients believed that the capacity to speak was not natural and it was not innate. That's only when the scientists took over. The ancients believed that the capacity to speak was God-given. So 
In the beginning, when God formed the human and breathed into his face his breath, it included the part of his faculty with which he would speak. And this breath, this ruah, was the very spirit of God. He breathed into the face, the nostrils, the mouth of a human being his very own spirit. And so when Moses began to argue with God and say, but I don't know what to say. I can't speak. I'm slow of speech. The Lord said, who was it that gave man his mouth? Was it not I? And when Moses balked, the Lord said, you will go before them and I will put my words into your mouth so you can speak. And then as Moses finished his 40-year career, just before he died, the Lord came back another time. And he said, I will raise up another person who is just like you. And I will put my words into his mouth. And he will say exactly what I tell him to say. So you start to get this feeling early in the Bible that a human being is trained to speak by God. It's not innate, it's just not normal. It is God infused into every human being. And you start to get the feeling that there might be humans, maybe not all of them, but some of them, whose capacity for speaking God Almighty has taken over. and channeled himself through them. Maybe it's not all of them, but there's some of them. And so David would say, the spirit of the Lord is on me and his words are in my mouth. David. Isaiah would be in the temple one day and he would say, woe is me, I, I am a man of unclean lips. And an angel would take the hot coal and touch his lips and say, see, your lips have been purged and your guilt is taken away. That capacity through which you speak has been purged and your voice has been given back to you. Isaiah Remember this day. It was the day you found your voice. To Jeremiah, he would say, I will put my words in your mouth and my words shall be in your mouth like a fire and these people in front of you like the wood it consumes. To Ezekiel, he would say, open your mouth and you will speak my words whether they listen or not. Now open your mouth and eat what I'm about to give you. So you get the idea in the Old Testament that this may not be everybody, but boy, there are some whose capacity for speaking God is taken over. When Jesus comes, it changes. He gathers two handfuls of disciples and he makes this audacious promise. 
not to one person, to 12. He says, when you stand before the courts, don't worry about what you will say or how you will say it. He said, the words will be given you on the day you need it so that your speech will not be your speech. It will wait for the language. It will be the speech of my Father who is in heaven. That's 12 of us, not one. On the day of Pentecost, it changed again. There were 10 times that number, 120, holed up in an upstairs room. And the wind blew over that room. And these people began to speak in other tongues, wait for it, as the Spirit enabled them. Do you hear it? And the people were amazed at this. They said, how is it that these people are speaking to us in our own language? And then Peter jumped up and he said, this is exactly the thing that the prophet Joel was talking about. For he said, in that last day, I will pour my spirit on all people. Wait for it. All people. Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, Protestant, Catholic, East, West, rich, poor, educated, simple, clergy, laity, big people, little people. I will release my spirit on all people and they will prophesy. Boy, this is a new day, because now the word of God is not coming through one person, it is coming through the entire body. The word is not coming from the preacher, and it's not coming just from the seminary, and it's not coming just from the denomination, it is coming from the entire people, all of them, in koine, common language. Oh, what a day. This is that day. How did we lose our voice? If God promised to put into your mouth the fire of Jeremiah, the scroll of Ezekiel, the lightning of Isaiah, how did we lose our voice? Well, the story that we're drawn to this morning is the story of a healing, and you're very familiar with it in Mark chapter 9, so I won't labor the points. They're simple. But I want to tell the story this morning quickly, don't I? Yes, quickly, from 
not the standpoint of the disciples, Jesus, why couldn't we cast this demon out? That's not the point today, nor from the, nor from the standpoint of the Father. How is it that faith and unfaith are mingled in my soul? That's another sermon. Today, I want to think about the boy. When Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, there's a crowd at the base of the mountain and the people are arguing. They're in a heated argument. Jesus walks up to the crowd and says, what are you arguing about? And that's when the father presents himself. He basically says, Jesus, it is my fault. I started this. I brought my boy who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech, and I've asked your disciples to cast him out, but they could not do it. I mean, I don't even want to think about what the disciples were saying to the boy or to the father in a moment like that. What kind of a dad are you? You can't even protect your boy from an evil spirit. Of course, the father is thinking, what kind of a disciple are you? If my boy has a spirit, you can't even cast it out. And so we've got this argument going on. Why don't you protect your son? And the father's going, why don't you stop talking and cast the spirit out? Do you see why this is such an important parable for our day? Jesus says, bring the boy to me. That's when it dawned on me. We've lost our voice because we've been robbed of our speech. I believe the church in our country today is possessed by another spirit that is not the spirit of God. There is an angry, vitriolic, mordant tone to our conversations, the church I mean, in the things we say to our enemies. Shoot, we say them to our friends. And it's rising. We're no longer defending ourselves against accusations. We're accusing. Remember James? James says, out of the same mouth, we bless God and curse a man who was made in the likeness of God. He says, from the very same mouth come praises and cursings, fresh water and salt water. My friends, these things ought not be. And this seems to some in the church as if it was really a soldier standing at the fortress of truth, but it's not. I think it's a boy thrown to the ground in convulsions and in the words of Luke, screaming suddenly and violently in disrupting tones and society will listen for a moment and then all of a sudden they just sort of step back and feel sorry for the father and then they go have their conversations somewhere else. This is what I think is happening to us. 
We've been taken over by this spirit. And so consequently, when we speak, we are unable to influence the public on issues that have enormous consequences. Gay rights, civil rights, generational poverty, immigration, just warfare, late-term abortion, abuse of power, rampant individualism. When we speak, people, we do not have anything unique to say because our voice does not proceed from a conversation we had with the Father earlier that morning. No, our voice proceeds from the reason and the rhetoric that is popular in that day. It proceeds from the shallows of our own convictions. If you doubt this, then name one instance in my lifetime, and I'm 30. <laughs> name one instance in which the church has fundamentally disagreed with the public, with the public about a social subject, and we won the day. Name it. You can't. How is it that 75% of, of our nation self-identifies as practicing Christians? 75%, that was 2015, I'll give you that, it was only four years ago. And yet, we cannot win a debate with the public on civil rights, on marriage, economics, abortion, we've lost all of them. Well, it's those blasted leaders in Washington, Steve. Brace yourself, bro. From the research I've read, almost half of our leaders in Washington are still active members in a Christian church. And most of them, the overwhelming majority of them, grew up in the Christian church. This is not a failure in our leadership. We've lost our voice. We have lost a biblical imagination. Are you still there? And as a result, society is stepping back and saying, let's have our conversations somewhere else. And so the fastest growing religious demographic in America right now are the nuns, the no religious affiliation. People, they're tired. 
Now, I told you this was going to be heavy. Are you still okay? It's getting ready to turn. I've waited for this moment. Whenever the church loses its voice, their first instinct is to become more innovative. They believe if we can just package the message a little. In other words, we think like marketers. It's all in the presentation, Steve. Find a better way to package the message. What we really need if the church is going to be revived is um, we need rock star worship bands, TED Talk pastors, Dr. Phil counselors, and greeters that are professional visitors. If we just train people better and say, I know what we'll do. We'll plant more interesting churches. We'll plant new churches with new leaders and new paradigms and new vision. Innovation. And I don't despise, well, for the most part, any of this. Because this has actually produced some, if only a little, of the kind of revival that we're trying to see. But I simply want to suggest this morning that the problem might not be more interesting churches. It might be a more interesting gospel. We need a more interesting message. In fact, one of the reasons we've lost our voice is because we cannot find a way to connect the gospel as we've learned it with all of these conversations that society is having. And so whenever we go to work or into the cafe and somebody starts talking about these issues that are so relevant in our day, the Christian sort of stands back and says, oh, sheesh. How am I going to get them on to the subject of Jesus dying for the sins of this world and rising again from the dead? We always feel like we have to hijack the conversation. Oh, I know that's what's important to you. Here's what you should care about. Because it's the only conversation I know how to have. And when I'm done... I'm gonna like uh, tell you how you can become Christian. We can do this in a day. I told you this would be hard. What if there was another way? Oh, what if there was another way? Only when we read the miracle do we find out why the boy has lost his voice. Because when Jesus casts the demon out, he says to him, you deaf and mute spirit. The boy's father never said anything about him being deaf. He just said a spirit's robbed him of his speech. And when Jesus cast him out, verse 25, he said, you deaf and mute spirit, come out of him and never enter him again. 
And that's when it dawned on me. We've lost our voice because we lost our hearing. When you can't hear, you can't speak. You can't hear the sounds. You can still make garbled noises that are disruptive. And sometimes you can scream in anguish when you're mad, but you can't articulate yourself in any meaningful way to contribute to the conversation because you cannot hear. I begin to wonder, maybe our problem with speaking is really a problem with listening. Maybe what society needs is someone who has been long and often in the presence of God, into whose mouth God has put his words so you can't tell which are his words and which belong to God. Can I, just, can I tell you a picture? Yes? We, we have time. In John chapter 12, Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's having a conversation and he's saying, unless a seed falls to the ground, it remains just a seed. But if it falls and if it dies, it gives fruit to many things. And in the middle of this conversation, Jesus suddenly turns and says, Father, glorify your name. And this voice from heaven says, Wilbur, I need your voice. <laughs> I have glorified my name and I will glorify, I got to hit, and I will glorify it again. Now, are you seeing what's happening here? Jesus is not walking with his disciples and saying, unless the seed falls to the ground, now wait a second, I got to pray. Father, Glorify your name. No, he moves seamlessly from a conversation with the disciples to a conversation with the Father. He is never in any conversation where the Father and him are not talking. You see the problem? We have devotions in the morning, but we only have them. We don't keep them throughout the day. And so the conversations that we're having with people throughout the day are not as infused by the words of God as they could be if we had two conversations going on at the same time. I'm not suggesting that we can cast this spirit out. But I believe only Jesus and his disciples can do that. But I believe the church is possessed by a spirit that is not the spirit of God. Oddly enough, the spirit that is not the spirit of God can still hear the voice of Jesus enough to come out when he talks to it. But it keeps us from hearing the voice because every time we hear the voice of God, there's another spirit in our head that says, that isn't God, that's just you. You must think about this rationally. You must be reasonable about this. Listen to me. Of all human faculties, college, church, reason is the weakest. Reason is the weakest. 
We went and got degrees in what is the weakest human faculty. If we opened our hearts to other faculties, hmm, like imagination, the mystical in the untried, but we can't because every time we hear it, there's a voice in our head that says, now you think about this. What if you're wrong? I don't think you can cast that spirit out. It can be cast out, but you can't do it yourself. But you can let another spirit in. Can you at least this morning just say, Father, speak to me. Give me another spirit. I got that one my whole life. I've had it from a child. I need to hear another voice. Are you willing to open your heart to that other spirit? Yes? Are you willing to get better at this? Are you willing to learn how to hear the voice of God? so that when it comes time to speak, you have something real to say.